0: Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. We are back again, and we're
1: talking, or I should say we're still talking about church history, and we'll probably continue in this for for some time uh, over the next few weeks, but uh, we have come to the point where it is time to dive into the Puritans and see how they really, quite frankly, were a product of the Reformation and continued to carry the torch of clarifying God's Word and and how it was being communicated I would say even further, and we're going to see that as we go along. Um, But last week we ended our Reformation discussion with the English Reformation, so it's only natural that we would talk about the Puritans because they are inherently English. Primarily. Primarily English. So today is going to be Puritans Part 1, so we have uh, kind of six things we want to look at, but we'll only get to three of them today in order Maybe. to utilize and economize our time to the best of our abilities. But I do, I do want to ask this question before we jump in. Um, what was the time frame of the Puritans so that our listeners have kind of in their mind's eye where we're at now? After Coming out of the English Reformation, and I there's always overlap, but what, what was the time frame? Uh, my the-
2: intentions were for us to get to that toward the end of our, our whole two-podcast study, but – Um, Broad, general view from mid-late 16th century, 1500s. So we're looking at uh, 1560, 70 to the mid-1700s or 18th century. So a couple hundred years, Okay, maybe.
1: And it gives a little bit of an idea. People can can kind of go from there. right? And you can research it more and and find out there if you're interested in that, and we'll talk about it more. We will talk about that Um, in our – Fifth point, but I think I'll go over the the six points that we're going to cover, so it gives people an overview. Uh, but we're only going to cover the last three in part two. I so suppose
2: I'll permit that.
1: Yeah, so oh, I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, the person we're going to talk about the personalities of Puritan Reformation. So who are the people of the Reformation? The kind of the key people. Uh, we're going to talk about the persuasions of Puritan Reformation. Uh, we're going to talk about particulars of the Puritan Reformation. And then in part two, we will have the persecutions of Puritan Reformation, the perseverance of the Puritan Reformation, and the product of the Puritan Reformation. But only the first three points in part one today, so stick with us, and next week we'll have part two. Um, But anyway, what are the personalities? Who are the people, the main players, if you will, in this Puritan Reformation.
2: Yeah, and it is important that you say the main players because there were multiple right. p- players or multiple personalities that, uh, if you do just a little scant overview of Puritanism, you'll find names. Some you will recognize, some you may not. If you're not much of a student of church history, then you may not recognize most of them. So we're going to look at some of the, the key guys that uh, uh, were sort of the launchers of, proponents of Puritanism, the Puritan um, ideal. Uh, One that folks might recognize is Oliver Cromwell. There's actually been some somewhat modern movies uh, made about Oliver Cromwell. He was um, uh, a member of parliament. He was um, the um, leader of the parliamentary army. There was a war while he was... On the scene, he uh, he became what was called Lord Protector of England. He would not. So he ac- wasn't a king. No, he wouldn't accept. He wouldn't accept the the title king. He did not want to be a monarch because they actually beheaded the king at the time. And the, yeah, well, Charles the and Charles the second. He's kind of between them. And um, some uh, there was actually some beheading. It seemed like Charles I was beheaded. I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance right now. I cannot remember all that I've read uh, when uh, Cromwell came on scene, not by him, but by his followers. So um, so anyways, Oliver Cromwell. Uh, there's a there's a number of books out. Let, let me stop you on him. I think some people struggle with
1: Oliver Cromwell when they study because you have a person who's supposedly of the Puritan, you know, right. persuasion. Yeah. He's involved in government, but obviously arms were used to accomplish some of the things that he's known for. So reconciling that with the Christian faith and that we are not called to bear arms, what, what where does that fall in the whole spectrum of that? I can see people
2: asking that question. Well, at the very least, uh, that, I mean, books, chapters and books have been written about this. So right. At the very least, he was a military leader during a conflict. So, so he not, not only
1: like, was a Puritan, not only was a believer in Christ, but he also
2: was a political figure. Yeah, he was a political figure, right. military leader. He was a leader of the military, the uh, parliamentary army. I don't know if it would be just fair to say that he promoted conflict, military conflict. He was a part of that military conflict.
1: Well, and I think our American mindset, heck, even our Western mindset, thinks so much different than they did. And we've talked about this before. Right. Um, the government and church were so closely tied together that the division of that, as we know it today, was pretty much non-existent. I mean, I there just, just
2: really wasn't much there at yeah, all. Yeah, some of that – and we'll talk about this toward the end of the second podcast on the Puritans that really, that whole concept of separation of church and state got on a roll toward the end of the Puritan and during the puritan uh, uh, time period, which
1: had its fruition in the Constitution and American yeah, way yeah, of, of, of it looking at things. Those things yeah, yes. Absolutely. Okay, um, so I only asked that just because I think people who may be a student of Cromwell or have studied him or remember him, that might be a question that comes to your mind. So I just felt like
2: it was good to. Yeah, get that another out. person who was a significant figure. Folks might, if you remember your English English literature, is John Milton. John Milton was a poet and a writer. He was uh, he authored Paradise Lost, um, and uh, he he was a. Unknown. He's a, he's a name we would recognize as part of the Puritan movement. Another is John Owen. Uh, most evangelicals who have some understanding of church history and literature yeah. would recognize John I mean, Owen. They still probably would works. yawn when they hear yeah. his name. And right. um, he uh, he he wrote theology. He wrote the exposition uh, to Hebrew of Hebrews. The whole it's a seven-volume thing. And uh, so John Owen was was a Puritan. Um, John Bunyan. Uh, he wrote, of course, Pilgrim's Progress, The Holy War, and Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Uh, folks will recognize John Bunyan. We'll bring him up later and some of these others up later when we talk about another aspect of the Puritan influence. Matthew Henry. A lot of Christians today, a lot of evangelicals. Oh, I, I Christians, use Matthew Henry
1: all the time. I yeah. read him, yeah.
2: Yeah, I still have their, his six volume work. Uh, you can on, get it free commentary. online, by the way. Yeah. It's completely yeah. free. Just just Google it, Matthew yeah, Henry Commentary, and yeah. right there. Yeah. If you're not a bibliophile like I am. but uh, – And then Charles Spurgeon. Now, that's, a, that's a interesting because by the time Charles Spurgeon comes along. Yeah, you along, threw me on this one. <laughs> when he comes along in the 19th century, uh, the Puritan movement is over, right? But he is often referred to as the last Puritan. So, so those are some is, of the persons. Is it
1: because of his style and writing and his ways? What of he and from things. Puritanism, yeah, okay. what he
2: what he took. He was very strongly influenced by the Puritans. His mother had him reading the Puritans when he was an unconverted young man, and then I think at sixteen he was converted. And he already had this wealth. He was very incredibly intelligent, incredible recall, and okay. so. By the time he was converted, he already was very, very familiar yeah. with the Puritans. Yeah. So that's I'm, that's the ones we'll just, – just to give yeah. a, a, an overview. And, and I'm sure there's more, uh, but time
1: keeps us from doing that. Okay, so the next thing we want to look at is the persuasions of the Puritan Reformation. And I do that in a plural sense because we want to talk about – basically what
2: motivated them, what their method was. Yeah, and so we just start there with the motivation of the Puritans. What what motivated them? What persuaded them? What was the thing that – where you say persuasions?
1: And I think it's important that we say this because often when we talk about Puritans, we get this idea in our 21st century now, 20th, 21st century, we get this idea of Puritans as, you know, this stale, austere – Stoic, maybe. Yeah, we're going there kind of, next sub-point. But right, yeah. but I'm, I'm just saying, I think it's good we're talking about this because we have, you know, uh, there's even a derogatory term Well, you're very Puritanical. Yep. So that's is. how we think about it. So studying this, I think, is good, and we're going to develop it and build it more so that people have, a, hopefully, a, a good view of the Puritans and what
2: they had to offer us. Well, primarily, what motivated the Puritans, uh, as one fellow said, they, well, as and it's known the goal, their motivation was to purify the Church of England. Uh, to quote um, from a book I read, they wanted to purify the Church of all practices not required by Scripture. That's mm, an interesting. Imagine phrase. that practices not required. There are usually two points of view regarding what we do, both in life and in Scripture, especially and both in life and in church. And one is, especially in church, in our ecclesiology, in our church life, some would say if Scripture does not forbid it, then it's allowable. Others would say, what's allowable is only what is prescribed. now the dis- regulative principle, right? Yeah, that's that. That is the difference in the regulative principle and the, the. I've forgotten what you call the other persuasion. So. The Puritans wanted the church to only do deregulative the, the, the principle. <laughs> <laughs> the, Sorry, I don't think that's quite right. No, but it's, it's not. I know it's not. Um, I was just. The uh, they only wanted to to do in the church what was required by Scripture, and uh, they 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 believed to go beyond what was required by Scripture was to add something that Scripture. Would not have us do, and opened us up to all kinds of practices. Well, I mean, if you just want to fast forward to the present day, you look at what we how we do church. Right. There's some truth to what they say. Right. Uh, and we're not going to have a podcast right now on the regular principle, but obviously, if if you uh, if you do what's allowed, what's not uh, what's not um, said no to in Scripture, then you can do a lot of things. So. With the idea that they were seeking to purify the church, right?
1: Was, was the their word motivation. and was yes. their motivation? Was the word being or them being called Puritans? Was that derogatory? Was that kind of like Christian? It probably depend on who you're talking
2: to, but they were called Puritans because that was that was their goal. That so they was, were their okay to go. They wanted to purify yeah. the church, uh, make it a, a biblical, a more biblical church, and they didn't feel like that was um, a once and done thing, right? Always reforming. You yeah. Know. Then okay. we can move, to, and you mentioned, so you alluded to this a moment ago, to the method behind their persuasion. Uh, there's a social critic once commented. I, I got this quote from Timothy Jones in his little book we've talked about. But the social crit, uh, critic uh, once commented, Puritanism is the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Th- that's – That's the modern-day thought of Puritanism. It's very true, though. That's a great way to put it, actually. Jones went on to say, Timothy Dr. Jones went on to say, his perception was dead wrong. I I think that's clear, too. Um, (laughs) What we don't hear about the Puritans is that, contrary to me, being a teetotaler, they loved their beer and got kind of upset when they didn't have it. I don't mean in their worship service. I just mean in life, you know, when they had their get-togethers – they believed that the husband-wife relationship should be mutually satisfying, mutually sexually satisfying. They they didn't they weren't against sex they were very much for it. They were just for it the way Bible talked about it. So they were they weren't boring, <laughs> not at all.
1: <laughs> and just and, and, do and a quite frankly, reading. if they were okay with beer and that was the thing that they enjoyed at a party, I would imagine they probably got a little happy. I don't know.
2: I'm uh, sure they did. They uh-huh. were happy. You know, I mean, they, were, they were you already have two happy. or three. You're going to be feeling good, contrary to false views of the Puritans. They were already ha- they were a happy people. They were happy to live life yeah. as God would have them to. And I don't say that in a bad way. All I'm saying is, is I'm trying to debunk this idea that yes. these Puritans just it, somehow lived this austere life and they were boring people. Well, but it, you know, to take the other side, if you're not Christian, or if you're Christian right. and you're a libertarian, right, or you profess to be a Christian or a libertarian, you think you should be able to do whatever you want. They wouldn't say that. No, they thought our lives and our church life should be guided by, directed by Scripture, but they certainly felt like life was to be enjoyed to the glory of God. Mm. And so they weren't anti-sex by any means. They had plenty of kids. (laughs) (laughs) And that wasn't just all they had sex for. And they they loved a a good social time together with, uh, you know, I wouldn't think their times you could be would be drunken brawls by no. any sense. Just fun times. They yeah. enjoyed what God gave. And they believed you should. You know, uh, the the misconception was that they just wore black all the time. They didn't. Hmm. They they wore mixtures of things outside of the church. Now at worship they felt like the attention ought to be to the glory of God, not to them. That's why they tended to dress a certain way in worship. There was a real intent to that. It wasn't just, "Oh, you can't do that." They had a, a point.
1: Well, we have the Thanksgiving holiday because of the Puritans,
2: and yeah, Thanksgiving well, the pilgrims
1: is, and the pilgrims were yeah, certainly
2: a, of the Pur- Puritan an persuasion. The Puritans, yeah. yeah. So,
1: I mean, you think about it. I mean, that whole thing is about feasting and joy and happiness and what we what we have been given and being thankful for that. So, I, I'd say that's pretty joyful. You know?
2: Yeah. Uh, But we just uh, – folks need to be more informed before they use a term that has become a pejorative used by those who don't want us to live our lives to God's glory.
1: Well, it's very much – I'm going to use this as an example, not as a commentary on our society necessarily. Um, But it's kind of like in our culture now, we use the word that's unconstitutional. We have no idea what we're talking about. I think that's what we're talking about here. We say, "Well, they're puritanical," but you have no idea what you're really talking about.
2: That means I don't like it, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think you're right. I I think you're exactly right. Right. Well, that's good. So we know their motivation. We know their method. Anything else on that?
2: No, I mean that's that's that was the general persuasion among Puritans of every stripe and. Um, which leads us on to our yeah. next point.
1: So the last one here in part one, we're going to deal with the particulars of the Puritan Reformation, and I think this deals more with kind of some of the denominations that came out of the Puritans, Yeah, uh, some that we may be familiar with even today. Um, well,
2: but What are those? Uh, we'll just mention some fellows and, and what their denominational persuasion was or what they became. For instance, uh, Thomas Cartwright, John Flavel, Matthew Henry were all Presbyterians. So they had a Presbyterian view of church, Hmm. they um, uh, of the covenants, and um, uh, they would have practiced infant baptism. Right. By they would have uh, sprinkled their infants into the covenant community, not for salvation, but into the covenant community. Um, Congregationalists probably sprinkled, but some of those were Oliver Cromwell, John Milton. John Owen were all Congregationalists. Congregationalism—I don't know if we can strictly say it grew out of Puritanism, but certainly they was right. It kind of spurred Congregationalism. Um, Anglican. There was a fellow by the name of Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter is well known for some books he wrote. He was a pastor, and uh, he was sort of a mediating influence in the whole thing. He—he he wasn't one of those guys that wanted to stir the waters too much. He—he he was for Puritanism, but. Richard Baxter was more mediating than he was confrontational. Wouldn't it have been fascinating to know these people personally and to know
1: their personalities? Well, you
2: you can know a lot about them just by like some of the books they've written. There are introductory uh, biographical essays about them, and you can find out a a good bit. There's a um, we'll mention this again. In next podcast, but there's a whole series of paperbacks called Puritan paperbacks. And it's the smaller books that were written by some of the Puritans, Richard Baxter and others, and um John Owen and others. And and you can sometimes in the fronts of those there's a biographical information. Another fella who was really one of the early Baptists was John Bunyan. He was a Baptist. And which gave us the the wonderful Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, so some Puritans separated from the Anglican Church because they didn't see Puritanism affecting the Anglican Church as they should. Somewhere around 1609, um, there was there was persecution that drove the separatists to Holland, which we will refer to again later. So some of the separatists went to Holland, uh, and some went other places, which we're not going to spill the beans on yet. So anyway, so that that gives us. Um, Basically, where we were they, these we've talked about these misconceptions, we talked about their um, their persuasions and w- there was something that that really was a a part of the persuasion of all puritans and then there were certain particulars, denominational particulars that were true of different puritans.
1: I think it's interesting when you look at the Puritans, and we said this before about the Reformation and everything that took place, but a lot of what we know in our American governmental Structure in our society, even though that's fading, comes directly from all of that. It's fascinating. Yeah. It um, is. The line can be traced directly to that. So I think we as Western Christians, in particular American Christians, we need to remember that these were the fathers
2: of our faith. Yeah. You know, in these many are the ways, people yeah. that Yeah, that Yeah. Which we will talk about more in the next podcast.
1: And, and, and much of what we enjoy today by way of freedom. In religion, yeah, is, is based upon them and what they were willing to endure in order for us to Had have an them. impetus.
2: And yeah, yeah it should
1: sent the gospel across the world. Yep. So yeah. I, I think just looking at this, it gives you a perspective yeah. that's much better than the word, well, you're puritanical. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, good thing because I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do want to ask another question though here. And I think you're going to delve into this more in part two next week. But what can the Puritans teach us for as
2: 21st century Christians? Um, well, we're going to see in our next podcast some things about perseverance and, um, and the persecution they went through and their steadfastness. I think um, they, they they call us back to a day when we were more serious about mm. Biblicism, and we're going to talk right. about that some more. I don't want to give away yeah, too much away. no, absolutely. Way. But I think but, it gives a little bit of a flavor of what yeah, we're looking for. Yeah, the, the Puritan... Movement is gone, but the Puritan concept is with us. We'll talk about that. Mm, very good. Well, so what I would
1: encourage our listeners is, you've heard part one. If you want to know the completion of this, you got to stick with us next week and do yep. part two. <laughs> so, That's right. Uh, we do thank you for joining us, and we we'll look forward to revisiting the Puritans again next week on part two.
0: Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at Podcast. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter, at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.